Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hit it. Why is that? The government, the government, the government, the government. 
Islam. Assalamu alaikum. Hotel. Shalom. I want to welcome everyone to another airing of Conscious Vibes Radio. Of course, I am your host, uh, Rami Il Ilbay. And today's subject matter will be What is a Nation? And before we can get into the subject matter, um, as we always do, I want to make a few announcements. Uh, for, as a reminder, um, we have, remember we have the study classes um, that are in the Sacramento territory biweekly. And they go on at 4311 Atua every other Saturday. 4311 Atawa, A-T-T-A-W-A, A-T-T-A-W-A, 4311. And that is by City College, Sac City College. The, we also have the study class that goes on on every Thursday that I conduct. The one in the Sacramento Territory is conducted um, by uh, Brother Hakeem uh, Ilbay and uh, Sister uh, Kyla Ilbay. We also have, again, the one that I conduct every Thursday that is in the uh, Oakland, San Francisco territory, uh, and that takes place at 3100 Telegraph. If you need any information um, about those, Please email me at Northgate Bay, B E Y. This is spelling for Bay, B E Y, at gmail.com. Just send me an email there and let me know that you want to get more information about the study classes, and uh, I will make sure you, you get that so that you can attend either one or both uh, as your time permits. Uh, I also want to give a, a shout-out to the wonderful brothers at um, AABH, uh, African Americans for Balanced Health. Uh, they brought me <clears throat> out to the Sacramento Territory yesterday, and we um, were able to have a, a great uh, discussion dealing with the ancient matriarchal principles and the rise of patriarchy. And it was a great event, um, you know, great turnout. <clears throat> and, um, you know, of course, hope we did some good and hope we was able to get some people, get the people some information that uh, maybe otherwise they wouldn't have, wouldn't have gotten. We can go ahead and jump right in. The reason that I'm doing the show uh, or picked the subject matter is because I, from a lot of the conversations that I hear, the understanding of what a nation and national principles are uh, is lacking amongst not only those who classify themselves as Negro, Black, and colored, but it's really there's a huge lack of understanding 
amongst those who classify, you know, themselves as uh, Moors, Moorish Americans. You know, a lot of a lot of the people who are claiming an understanding of what this national design movement is uh, are not really exhibiting this understanding. There's principles that go with being a nation. And if those principles are not enlisted, followed, then you're not a nation. And so clinging on to something that perhaps we are not does not allow us to do what we need to do to build it. If we don't recognize where we're at, we cannot set or chart a path to get where we need to get, you know, go. And this is a a very huge uh, problem that we have right now. Because we don't respect and understand what the principles of nationhood is, then we actually don't have the unity that we need to have at this point really to uh, be a great force moving forward. Without without this clear concepts and understanding, you can't produce solidarity in the movement because you have too many things that are, are wrong. If you don't understand jurisdiction and all of its forms, then you constantly step on each other's toes. Uh, you, if you don't have or don't respect the laws of a nation, then you constantly have uh, rogue or people outside of the law within the nation. If you don't know what the laws are of the nation, then how can you follow them? And so... This, these type of things are a huge problems right now, or obstacles, I should say, not problems, but they're obstacles that have to be put in the forefront so people can realize exactly where we're at, exactly what's going on, and start to actually fix these things. And so I want to get into, I'm going to get into what actually does it take and what is a recognized Nation, not based on what we want to think something is, but based on world standards, the world standards of what a nation is. And all and, and some of the different concepts and forms it takes takes on, what does it take to actually set up a nation, what does that look like? If you don't know what that looks like, you can't recognize whether uh, you're a nation or not. You also can't, you know, recognize the falsehoods that people put up with their concepts and their precepts. There are certain things that it takes to actually be a nation, to actually form a nation. And if those things are missing, then you're simply not a, going, not a recognized nation. 
is not about what you think. If certain things are not present, you're simply not a recognized nation. So we need to have an understanding of what those things are that it takes to be a recognized nation. And then from that, we can understand exactly where we need to go to either continue to be that or to become that. Now, a nation is defined in the Black Law Dictionary as a people. Okay, those are the first two words, a people. People is plural. It's not a person, people. People are plural. So that means right from the jump, they're talking about several people coming together. That's the first step. The first step to be in a nation is people coming together, not a person. A person can never be a nation. Okay, a people. It says, or aggregation of men. Now, before we move forward, let's define aggregation so that everyone is clear. An aggregation is a collection or gathering of things together. Now, that is, uh, uh, let me, I'm going to go to uh, a couple of different definitions of it here so you understand what an aggregation is. It's a group or mass of distinct, varied things. The state of being collective. So, an aggregation is a group, a collective group. So it's still the same thing in a plural sense of a people. So you have a people or aggregation of men. So an aggregation of men would be a collection of men, a collection. Now, of course, that's some of when we're seeing men. Um, they're not because we're in a patriarchal society. Is not recognizing uh, in its form, in its wording, women. Okay. However, understanding that uh, that is an aggregation of men or and women. It says existing in the form organized. Do not miss the the, the word organized. Euro society, in the form of an organized jural society. A jural society is a society that has formulated and uh, documented rules and regulations. A jural society is a society 
that has laws in place. And that is extremely important in understanding. A drill society is a collection of men or people, men and women, who exist in the form of a general society, a society where there are rules and regulations and consequences. There is no such thing as a general society if there is no consequence. So in a general society, you have laws and regulations to maintain the society. If those rules, regulations, those laws are broken, then there have to be consequences that are set out to punish those who break the rules. This is a general society. This is worldwide. It's law and order. So a recognized general society is one that controls its members of citizenry based on rules and regulations. And when I say control, I mean protect, takes care of, uh, based on the rules of the society, and they're organized. Since inhabiting a distinct portion of the earth, inhabiting a distinct portion of the earth. So at that point they're telling you that you must have a territory in order to be a nation. You must have a territory or have had a territory. So there must be some place where you get or have set up your national standards. And that, of course, is going to go to, into other principles that we'll get into shortly. Speaking the same language. So you must have a native tongue. You must have a native tongue, a language that your people within your nation, speak. That is recognized as your nation's language. Using the same customs, using the same customs, those customs are also going to go back to being an organized general society because based on your customs, you're going to have a customary 
way in which you do things and your laws are centered around your customary ways of doing things to to ensure peace and order within those customary ways of doing things. Possessing historic continuity. Now, for those who really don't understand what continuity means, we want to define that. Let me turn to it here. Continuity. The state or quality of being continuous, a continuous or connected whole. We're going to go to it in a different dictionary also. Now, this is a part that people miss in the definition of nation. The unbroken and consistent existence or operation of something over a period of time. The unbroken and consistent existence or operation of something over a period of time. So continuity deals with the unbroken existence of something over the course of time. So possessing historic continuity. So what they're telling you with that is that in order to be a nation, you must have a traceable lineage. You must have a traceable lineage. So you must have historic continuity. There must be some history behind you. There are no new people on the planet. You must have some history with you. And distinguished from other like groups by their racial origin and characteristics, and generally, but not necessarily, living under the same government and sovereignty. So that saying that the people of a nation can be in different parts of the world. and be citizens or subjects, depending on where you're at, but still be considered to be a part of a nation. So if your people are enslaved and lose certain aspects of the beginning definition, 
meaning you're no longer in the same territory, but that territory once existed. Or if some of your customs are being stripped from you, or if your government, the Jural Society or Jural part of your government doesn't exist any longer, but you have historic continuity, then you're still considered a nation of people. You still have a nationality. Now, this definition lays out exactly what a nation is. Now, let's speak about how a nation is actually formed from these things based on today's worldwide standards. There's standards of operation around the world for the formation of a nation. And if these standards and protocols are not followed, then other nations don't recognize it. The formation of a nation starts with, literally, the formation of a trust. Trust. Trust looks like a lot of different things. The trust is a contract. It is the foundational contract of any and all societies. In any and all societies, the foundational document is a trust. The people, the aggregation of people, come together to form a Jural Society. When they come together to form the Jural Society, the first thing that they do is authorize, authorize the formation of the Jural Society. The authorization of the Jural Society precedes the formation of the Jural Society. It precedes that. Meaning that the people have to first give permission for there to be a Jural Society formed. Once that Jural Society is given permission to form, it then sets out to formulate and establish a trust. The trust is the registered documentation of the formation of the nation. The trust is the registered documentation of the formation of the nation. So when the people come together, there's a document that is executed and written. The document then states, the principles and the spirit of the nation. It speaks about um, the direction of the nation, and it outlines some seats of authority within the general society, and it authorizes the Jural Society to make laws. The trust is not 
the law. It's the spirit of the nation as a documentation of the formation of it. It authorizes the seats of government to proceed in forming a nation, in forming the Jural Society, in setting up rules and regulations. So when you see the Constitution for the United States of America, the Constitution is actually backed up by a trust document. The Constitution is not the trust itself. The Constitution is the document that outlines the Jural Society or starts or it forms the Jural Society. But there's a document that precedes the, the Constitution, and it's a trust document. Because the people have to come together to authorize the Constitution to be written. So if you have 100 people, to make it simpler, if you have 100 people, 100 people meet. They say, we're going to form a nation. Those 100 people then say, okay, well, we need to set up the date and all these things that our nation has formed and what our intent is. And then we need to set up a government. So those 100 people come together and then they authorize certain individuals within that 100. They may pick seven and tell those seven people to formulate a trust and stamp and date these days, these activities, as the start of the nation. Those seven, those ten, those hundred people will then tell the seven people that this is the direction we want the nation to go in. So those seven people then sit down and formulate a trust document. Because now they've been authorized to start the general society. Then they bring it back to the 100. The 100 people will then approve it. Then those seven people, then from the document that is called the trust or the founding document of the nation, start to form rules and regulations for the nation. That becomes your constitution. That becomes the Constitution. The Constitution is going to be your base of your rules and regulations, and then the Constitution is going to authorize any other formation, whether you're talking about subgroups, subgroups within subgroups, Whatever the direction of the nation is, the Jural Society is now empowered to move in that direction based on the trust document. Now, with that formation of that trust document and the formation of that said constitution for that group, 
that now that which would be now considered a full a, a formed nation. So now these people have organized into a dual society. They've organized into a nation. They have set up in their constitution their laws. They've set up in their trust, their spirit, their direction. So the constitution doesn't outline your direction. Your trust outlines your direction. It's very important to distinguish and understand the difference in the two. Your constitution doesn't outline your direction and your spirit. The trust does. So when you're hearing the Supreme Court speak about what they will say, the spirit in which the law was formed, the spirit of the so-called founding fathers, they're speaking of, of the formation of the trust document that was formed prior to the Constitution. But they're not, you know, of course, teaching people how to build a nation. They're not teaching these things, so they speak about it in a certain way. Those things are done. The other parts of being a nation is that you must have uh, a banking system. You must have your own national currency of finance. You cannot, cannot be a fully sovereign nation using the finance or currencies of another nation. You cannot be a completely sovereign nation using the finance and the currency of another nation that allows the other nation to have a sort of control over you because the currency controls the current. It controls the flow of the nation. So if that other nation whose currency and finance you're using decides to interrupt your flow, meaning to raise or to start to tax you, the value of that finance of that other nation goes down. So now the value of your nation goes down. So that's why worldwide, sovereign, each sovereign nation has its own finance. You have the yen, the euro. You have fiat, Tibetan note. Everyone has it. And that's what allows you to be sovereign within your jurisdiction as a nation. The other part, as they outlined, is the territorial jurisdiction, uh, the custom. The one thing that they did not uh, outline in the definition is the fact that in order to enter the world stage as a nation, you have to be recognized by other nations as existing. So as you, one of the things that you do as a nation then is you seek out relationships, other nations, 
who then willingly recognize you as a sovereign nation. This is what we did for the Germanic tribes who came here with the Treaty of Peace and Friendship. This is why it's spoken about so highly. We were the first to recognize them as independent from Great Britain, thereby recognizing their sovereignty as a nation. So then once you're setting up your nation, it's formed. You then go to Japan and you speak with the emperor there. You build a relationship and you sign a treaty with Japan, where Japan is now saying, I recognize you as independent and sovereign. Then you go to another country and you build a relationship with them. And then you sign treaties with them where they're recognizing you as independent and sovereign. And you continue to do that with all the nations, as many nations as you can if you're wise. And that is literally the formation of a nation. Those things, it's based on, at the end, those relationships that recognize you as a sovereign nation. Now, when we're speaking of being Moors, we often speak of being a nation. One of the things that I want to be clear in pointing out is the intent of why we're doing the show. If we don't recognize where we're at, we cannot set a chart for where we need to go. We can't do it. We have to start recognizing exactly where we're at. The prophet did not say, never have said, he finished and did everything for us. He said, I have given you everything you need. Now go save yourself. So there's work that we still have to do. One of the things that you see amongst us now is that we don't even understand our own customary laws as Muslims. We don't understand how this whole thing is set up. If I'm asking someone How is the cabinet for Moors set up? How is the governmental cabinet set up for Moors? Give me the position and give me a brief on what these positions do. Most of your Moors won't know. All the while, we're claiming to be a nation. Now, if I ask them saying Moors, give me the cabinet for 
the U dot S dot. Oh, they'll tell you. The president, the vice president, the secretary, secretary of state, you know, the attorney general. Uh, you have the House of Representatives, the Senate. You know, they'll be able to run that down. So why do they, you know, their nation, their de facto nation, but don't know your own? Don't know what your cabinet is. Have no idea. So let's discuss that a little bit. And I'm going to run through uh, these positions. And you can find the document, a document that outlines these positions. If you go to RV Bay Publications. They have a document uh, that goes through the different positions. Now, as it's going through the positions, it's going through it. Um, it's laying out the national positions, but you, but it's laying it out from a from the standpoint of a temple. So you have to know how to project that into. Um, the national standard. What would that position do uh, from the scale, from a national scale? So I'm going to open up the document. I'm going to go through it. Let me see here. Okay. The head of the Moors nation, or the Islamic nation, is going to be your grand chief. So when you're going into the temple, of course, you have the grand chief. What you'll see in how uh, the Moors Divine National Movement is set up. Is set up. You have your Supreme Grand Sheik, and the Supreme Grand Sheik is the individual who is over uh, all of those Moors Science temples that is under his charter or jurisdiction. At this point, there's several. You have several different. Uh, tribes or clans of, um, who fall up under different jurisdictions. You also have great seals who uh, now have several different um, clans or tribes who have um, an emir uh, who is uh, Taj Tariq Bey um, who generally is dealing with the territories on the eastern seaboard. You have um, Braswell, Springfield Sheep, Braswell Bay, um, over uh, a charter of Morristown's temples. You also have Bailey Eel, who is a Supreme Grand Sheik, who is under, oh, excuse me, over 
certain chartered uh, temples under his um, authority and jurisdiction. You have myself um, here on the on the west with who is Great Seal Order West um, as a national grand chief over different um, moors in different territories. So the seat of the grand chief, the emir, uh, the emir is actually, um, in Muslim understanding, uh, a general, a military general. A supreme or national grand chief, grand chief S, uh, is likened to the president. And in the book, it will tell you that seated in the far east is the grand chief or grand chicken, adorned in the garb of his or her state of mind. Around him or her or his or her magistrates, ministers, and sheiks, etc., anointing his or her head in the most important symbol of his or her office, the black fez or turban. The crown of the east, the west, the north, and the south. The universal crown of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. You see how they just told you who's supposed to wear the black fed. It says, at the head of a parade demonstrated by the royal host, he or she is the grand marshal. So now you have, they're telling you you have a position of the Grand Marshal. So the Grand Chief, the Grand Chief is establishes regulations according to Act 1 of the rules of law on keeping of the secrecy of our chambers, initiation of candidates, typical functioning, being an officer, and its qualifications, voting, examinations, businesses, meetings, and bylaws, finances, dues, and funds, funerals, weddings, philanthropy, the widow, the sick, and preparations. The office of the Grand Sheikh of Grand Sheikh is of the highest order and is the highest officer in the Moorish Muslim society. I'm going to read that part again. The office, the office, it did not say the individual. It says the office of the Grand Sheikh or the Grand Seekers, is of the highest order and is the highest officer in, the, in our Moors and Muslim society. So the Grand Seek or the Grand Seekers is your highest ranking authority figure, is your czar, your emperor, your king, Many confuse what we're doing um, as moors, as clubs. So they're confused with the order and how things go. The Grand Sheik or Grand Sheikhs is the highest ranking officer because they hold the office of the Grand Sheik or Grand Sheikh. You go, go up here. It says the Grand Sheik of Grand Sheik is, is that of our head governmental officer and religious minister. 
he or she is responsible for Islamism law being taught. As the Prophet Noble Drew Ali received authorization to teach ism, to teach. Ism is a suffix of nouns and means a devotion to and adherence to and the characteristics and beliefs relative to systems of learning, actions, and behavior. These are promoted and acted upon for the good of society, and thus mores, mores, are guided by virtues of the same. So this is the first or the highest seat of office, the grand chief. says that the grand chief or grand chief is our official counselor and advisor, being an everlasting father figure, mighty God-like authority, the prince of peace and peacemaker by his prophet. He or she imitates the prophet noble Drew Ali in the true intent of his or her works, actions, and deeds. The divine instructions from the holy prophet and the 12 acts given to us are the means by which we shall be strengthened. The grand chief of grand chief is garbed in the robe of his or her office or in Moorish attire when teaching in the temple, in society, or in public. The grand chief or grand chief is elected. Don't miss that. The grand chief or grand chief is elected to office by the people or appointed by the heads of state Sheets, etc. <laughs> Excuse me. Pardon me. The Grand Sheik or Grand Sheik is elected to office by the people or appointed by the heads of state, sheets, etc. So automatically that tells you just laid out some foundations for what or who a grand sheik is. A grand sheik is not a self-administered title. It's not a self-administered title. It's not a self-administered title. You're elected by the people or you are appointed by the other heads of state. You understand? You're elected by the people, or you're appointed by other heads of state. In order to be a grand chief, you must have a following a tribe, a clan. You're not a grand chief because you say so. The grand chief of grand chief is not demonstrates that honor by reading from the everlasting gospel. The grand chief of grand chief is demonstrates the legal and lawful aspects of all issues because, because life and society is fraught with issues and human actions. The grand chief of grand chief is, is a Muslim, a free moral. And his or her position is that of a prime minister 
and seeks to maintain peace, balance, and harmony of society. The Grand Sheikh of Grand Sheikh's station corresponds to the sun. His or her noblest virtues are faith, which is wisdom, hope, which is strength, and charity, which is love. All of these are moral forces deemed to withstand temptation. The Grand Sheikh of Grand Sheikh presides over all meetings through his or her committee chairperson and convenes special meetings when deemed necessary. The, the Sheikh appoints all committees and has the casting vote in all issues of a tie. Signs and seals all authorized legal documents presented for his or her signature. And in respect for the services rendered to the nation, he or she shall be exempted from all dues and taxes. The Grand Sheik of Grand Sheikhs is also ordained to the work of the public ministry and the governmental affairs of men, local, state, federal, and international. The Grand Sheik of Grand Sheikhs are a body of legislature, executive and judicial officers, who advise sheriffs, mayors, governors, the Congress, and the president. The Grand Sheik or Grand Sheikis is the head Moorish representative. Walk in the path which he has opened before thee. The Grand Sheik or Grand Sheikis shall greet one and all at the closing of each service when possible. The Grand Sheik or Grand Sheikis of the Moorish Science Temple of the Moorish Society, excuse me, has a national aspect to his or her office as well as a divine and fraternal one. This office, he or she assumes under the title of the president, the Grand Sheik, the Grand Sheik is the divine minister, the national minister, is the president of our Moorish Society. Our organization of the Moorish Holy Temple of Science, which when demonstrated, he or she is the chief executive and presiding officer of our living Moors nation. This relates to business, company, corporation, institutions, societies, temples. Dignity and majesty distinguishes him or her as the sheik. As chief executive, he or her duties are to be faithful and with clean hands execute the days your laws pursuant persuaded to the supreme law of the land and guided by Act 1 in the courts of men. The Grand Sheik of Grand Sheikhs is our Moorish society's political leader, magistrate, judge, director, and plenipotentiary, and must provide law, knowledgeable, knowledgeable guidance in setting, settling disputes among brothers and sisters using Moorish law and constitutional principles. As assistant grand chief and council body may be appointed to address grievances both foreign and domestic in Morris Royal Court. So, with that, outlines the office of the, and the term that you'll see most used now is your supreme grand chief. Now, 
whenever we're using this term or hear someone using this term, you should know now the qualifications. One, a Supreme Grand Chief and a near uh, uh, National Grand Chief, those are, that individual is elected or appointed by head to state. Anyone, anyone, anyone who allows you to address them as a grand chief who has not, who has not been appointed by heads of state or elected is not honorable. And at the very least, they're ignorant. Anyone who allows you to address them as Grand Chief, whether it's Grand Chief, Supreme Grand Chief, National Grand Chief, who has not been elected by the people or appointed by the heads of state is not honorable. And at the very least, they're ignorant and need to be corrected. We should never allow anyone to be placed in a seat of authority that they don't qualify for. This is our law. These are our seats of government. The Grand Chief, Supreme Grand Chief, National Grand Chief is the highest authority of their clan or tribe or temple or temples under their jurisdiction, tribes under their jurisdiction. You have sheep. You have sheep. Then you have the grand sheep. Now let's move on to, we'll skip past the assistant. And we'll go to what is the grand chairman or chairwoman, the pillars of fire, the chief among chief, excuse me, chief among the grand chief and grand chief counselors, and seated north and south of the temple is the chairman or chairwoman of the temple. Chief among the grand chief and grand chiefs counselors and seated north and south of the temple is the chairman or chairwoman of the temple. He or she is empowered to make law and to enforce laws. Persuade to Act 1 of the Divine Constitution and Bylaws, and Article 1 and Article 3 of the Constitution for the United States Republic of North America. These laws are imbued with divine justice and are made to express Almighty God Allah's infinite wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. These laws are in place to keep the people and the temple soundly and morally grounded and stable on their divine constitutional foundation as a just society is a peaceful society, unity, salvation, Allah. 
standing firm as the Moore Society's National Minister of Affairs, of War, and of Peace, the Grand Sheikh or Grand Sheikhist muscles the strength of the temple. They zealously wage war against all ignorance, against color of law, against spiritual tyranny, against oppression, standing firm against vices. We'll skip the rest of that. The grand chairman or grand or chairwoman is commander over the secretary of our Moorish society. He or she chairs all meetings, public and private. He or she notes the issues, the yeas, the yeas and the nays and the resolution. He or she implements the law on every matter and issue and sees that the laws are not broken. He or she then counsels with the grand chief or grand chiefess to obtain his or her authority to sanction the resolution into law for the benefit of the Moore Society and for the uplifting of fallen humanity. The grand chairman, chairwoman, is the third, third highest-ranking member of the Grand Chiefs or Grand Chiefs staff and is second in order in succession to the office of Grand Chief or Grand Chiefs unless otherwise elected. Now, we skipped over the assistant Grand Chief. The assistant Grand Chief is the second highest-ranking office. The grand chairman or chairwoman is the third. The grand chairman or chairwoman has the power to call an emergency meeting at any time and can expect the participation of all parties. This is done to deal with and handle all domestic problems that may arise among the members. The chairman or chairwoman's duties are the care, the upkeep of the temple protection of its members and of property. Under the direct instruction of the chairman, chairman or chairwoman comes the opening of and closing of the meetings. This is done according to the divine constitution, the reading of the laws and each member holding fiduciary responsibilities, carrying out their designated functions in the temple. Again, the chairman or chairwoman is the grand sheik or grand sheikhist chief advisor and represents the Grand Sheik or Grand Sheikis and the temple in army, national, public, and governmental matters. This is by virtue of the power and authority according to Act 1 of the Divine Constitution and Bylaw. We'll read that again. The, the chairman or chairwoman is the Grand Sheik or Sheikis grand, excuse me, chief advisor and represents the Grand Sheik or Grand Sheikhesses in only national, public, and governmental matters. This is by virtue of the power and authority according to Act 1. So they're laying out the fact that your Grand Chairman is actually your most visible part of your government in dealing with the affairs of the nation. They are the ones who represent the nation in public and international affairs. The office of the Grand Chief does not or only represents or goes out in the event that 
it is extremely necessary for their presence to be there. The grand chairman or chairwoman is the office that is generally the face that is most seen in, in public affairs. They are the office that is that enforces the laws. The nature of laws are implemented and abided by. Go down here. We're going to skip through the co-chairman and co-chairwoman because that is the uh, assistant to um, the chairman or chairwoman. If you want to read those things, I can send you this document. Um, it's not the whole book but I took the time to download some of the pages from the book. So this is just a small section of the book that you can get from RV Bay Publications if you want to just read through these positions. But there's much more to that book, and I definitely would advise you to, to get the whole book. So now we come to the visor, or what would be called the secretary. If every member of the Grand Sheik or Grand Sheikis' staff was so humble, it would be only it, it would be only it would only be his or her secretary. Who takes a very special and honorable member to execute the proceedings of the Grand Sheik or Grand Sheikis to execute his or her moves and to call to remember events that are almost clear out of his or her thoughts. We're talking about a member who is diligent, dedicated, and truly Morris duty. Conscious, for he or she knows that the works performed by the secretary are truly vital, valuable, and appreciated. For the secretary, a great trust of the people resides. Come on here. Uh, Okay, let me go back up. The secretary, Razum, is, is the record keeper of all proceedings of the Moore Society, and he or she will have on file security information on all members of the Moore Society. All Moore's documents are written by the secretary by virtue of the delegated authority of that office. The secretary is also the keeper of the great seals of our moral society and holds the duties of recording all finance, the financial records. The secretary from his or her file can give the number of our members, record emission, notes, uh, suspension, expulsion, and diligent members on our active list or record record those who have passed forward. The secretary shall always be prepared to give the records of temple property and its inventory at a day's notice. The secretary may have assistant secretaries. The secretaries conduct all written correspondence. If the secretary is 
to open and close our meetings with the readings of the laws. The secretary or treasurer shall not disclose any personal information of any member or any other member, etc. A member's personal business, participation, or dues, etc. is only a matter of the round table and the grand sheik and grand sheikas, assistant grand sheik, assistant grand sheikas, and the chairman or chairwoman. Among the secretary's records, and under his or her care, should be a calendar of appointments for the grand sheik, grand sheikas, table and the Morse calendar listing upcoming events and occasions. The file records of each member shall contain registration application, second uh, heaven application, letters, certificates, and, and in any and all documents or affidavits, etc., that members may want to enter into their files. The record book of all national persons. The secretary will communicate clearly all matters of concern. The secretary will file all motions made by members of the roundtable because of documents, certificates, etc., or official documents that must be treated as such. The secretary will style all meetings, period. From time to time, the secretary will be, by permission of the Grand Seeker, Grand Seekers, or the Roundtable Council, publish the minutes of the Roundtable. These minutes that pertain to issues passed into law will read all laws enacted by the Roundtable, etc. Be it therefore resolved. Morris Public Law Number 101, etc. Otherwise, the minutes are to be sealed and must be must not be read, nor nor must the seal be broken. Secretary will withdraw finances out of the treasury as needed to do Morris ministry work. And so it's going to go on to list the office of the secretary. As you can see, the, the advisor, Ratham, secretary, has a lot of duty and has a lot of responsibility towards information. Now, that office is one of the most important offices because that is the office that holds all the records. Now, I want to stay with that office for a second. This is the office when we're speaking of filing paperwork. You're going to get a lot of mores who who ask about how do I file paperwork? How do I do this? How do I do that? How do I file this proclamation? Things were set up properly. You would actually file your paperwork with your secretary within your clan, i.e. tribe, i.e. temple. The secretary, the secretary, would then do the necessary work to put on notice all others who need to be noticed of your proclamation, meaning that if you want to file your proclamations or declarations concerning correcting uh, your attributes, removing yourself out of the de facto jurisdiction, if if things were set up properly, if things were set up properly, you should 
go to your secretary, your advisor, your rabbi, file it with the secretary, and then they would handle it from there. This is nations. This is what nations do. Nations don't have individuals going to the clerk or the secretary of another nation. You have, there's national standards within nations for those things. And I'm highlighting that because this is a very big issue when we're speaking about the so-called Moorish nation and what we have, the work we actually have to do to get this thing right. Because it is not correct. It is not correct that individuals have to file their paperwork and go through these hassles. The only reason is that these things have to be done this way is because the Moorish American nation has not been fully established correctly. The work that the prophet started has not been finished. It has not been finished. We have not continued the prophet's work the way we're supposed to finish and continue the prophet's work. We haven't done that yet. The office of the secretary within Great Seal, within the Moore's Divine National Movement, within the Moore's Science Temple, is the office that's supposed to handle you setting up your trust document. You should not have to go to the county clerk to have your trust recorded. and have to deal with their de facto jurisdiction. You should be, if things were set up correctly, if things were set up correctly, able to go to your advisor, say, I have finished setting up my trust. Can you file it within the Morrison's temple? within great seal, then the nation, the secretary, would then, then assign you a document number, course, a filing number for your nation. The, sec- the office of the secretary and the representatives would then correspond with the de facto jurisdiction putting them on notice because there's supposed to be a relationship there that notifies them of the change of not only your status, but also the status and change to, of your relationship to your herodentimate. The mere fact that there is none of that happening is an issue that we really need to fix. 
individual moors should not have to keep doing and going to the county clerk to file documents. That is not the basis of how nations operate. If you were to go into Italy and you were to naturalize to become an Italian citizen, you would first have to give up or go through the process of giving up your American citizenship. Then you would fill out the paperwork and go through the process of being naturalized into being an Italian citizen, a citizen of Italy and their jurisdiction. Now, of course, I want to be clear so there's no confusion. We don't naturalize in this land, in the Mexican. Just don't want, because we got so much of that nonsense going on, I don't want anyone to think that because I'm using the term naturalization um, that this is something that we're supposed to do. Anyone who's telling you to naturalize is telling you some, some BS. We don't naturalize. Now, speaking of going to an actual foreign nation, the whole process would actually be done within the secretary, dealing with the secretary of that Italian, of Italy, that office, and whatever office they set up to deal with that. If you're naturalizing, you're becoming a part of Italy, Italy is not having you handle diplomatic business. They have a diplomatic relationship with other countries. So when you get there, they have all the paperwork you need to relinquish your other citizenship and naturalize as, as into their citizenry. You're not running back and forth trying to conduct diplomatic business. That's a diplomat. That's diplomatic business. There's relationship that is supposed to be there. And that relationship or that office pertaining to, pertains to the office of advisor. The fact that, again, the fact that we don't have that is an issue. Now we'll go to the treasurer. Another honorable position held by a member of the Grand Chief, the Grand Chief of Staff, is that of the treasurer. The treasurer's duties and, and charge shall be to receive from all members, etc., dues, funds, revenues, free will offerings, and other sources of finance, etc. The correct procedure is that above finances will come from the secretary, who shall record the account of the monies in the temple records. Then he or she will give those monies to the treasurer and she'll likewise record the amounts and deposit the same. In a like manner, the treasurer shall receive all temple accounts, payables, bills, 
and the secretary, pay the same and keep all receipts of the same as, uh, and all records and files under the heading the treasurer. The treasurer will give monthly reports on finances received, finances distributed. The treasurer should keep available for examination the treasurer's records in, in the safe, in the grand secret, grand secret's chambers and office. The treasurer, he or she, should be a sheik or sheikis, et cetera, and be required before entering upon the duties of his or her office so clearly understand and accept that it is imperative to keep accurate and up-to-date penny-for-penny records. So you have the office of the treasurer. The treasurer is in charge of your financial system. The secretary and the treasurer work hand-in-hand. Work hand-in-hand. He deposits the finance. He's in charge of the the nation, the nation's or tribe's accounts. He has to be, he or she has to be a diligent bookkeeper, down to the penny. Of course, has to have great integrity. Now you have the chair standing erect at the temple entrance door and overlooking Allah's worshipers, welcoming one and all to come and worship with us and reading one and all as they enter the temple and reading one and all as they enter the temple is our protection. The members of the, of the office of the sergeant at arms or doorkeepers of the house of Allah. These are the muftis appointed by the heads of state and functioning as palace guards. The sergeant at arms or the doorkeeper's station is, is of vital importance to the security and peace of the temple and its members, for it is a palace guard or guard of the chambers. It is a sergeant at arms who calls the meetings to order five minutes before the altar makes the call, prayer, call to prayer. It is the office that signals the altar that our meetings can open according to Act 2 of the Divine Constitution. This signaling is done by the sergeant on sounding Islam, Islam, Moors. The meeting will now come to order. Thus, the assistant sergeant on position before the altar will also arrive. Thus, the altar knows that there is peace in the house. The doorkeepers or the mufti's duties are to make known to the altar of visitors and visitors that make requests that may request an audience with the Grand Sheik or the Grand Sheikis, etc. The Mufti also welcomes visitors and seeks them comfortably. They also pass out any and all the temple's written announcements and messages. The doorkeepers show our temple visitors great cordial hospitality. They show where restrooms are. They get water for the visitors. They hang up coats. The sergeant at arms, being Mufti, enforces the laws of our moral society and maintains peace at any cost. The sergeant at arms is also in charge of our charter, the symbol of our legislative power and authority. They are to see the flag or at all times 
respected and protected. Respected and protected. Remember the subversive act of George Washington and his use of the acts regarding the charity. Maintaining the general and overall security of the temple building and meeting in the congregation is his or her major responsibility. His or her major responsibility. A letter of introduction is to be made to the county sheriff. A letter of introduction is to be made to the county sheriff and to the local police department, notifying them of our moral society, having peace officers operating in accordance in accord with our Morris laws, rules, and customs. I don't want to pass that one up because I want you to, to see what it just, pay attention to what it just told you. The office of the Mufti, the sergeant at arms, is supposed to have a relationship with your Sharif or your local police department. The office of the Mufti, the sergeant at arms, is supposed to have a relationship with the Sharif or your local police department. See, we talk nationhood, but we have no idea what the hell we're talking about. We're going through these things because we have to really start fixing these things. We're starting, of course, with the Grand Sheik. The Grand Sheik is aware of the black fed. The Grand Sheik is seated, seated in the east. I shouldn't have to explain that. So the aware of your black fed, the individual seated in the east, the Grand Sheik is appointed or elected. He's appointed by heads of state. The only reason the Grand Sheik would necessarily be appointed by heads of state, is if there is an opening of a new territory. Meaning that if there's an opening of a new territory, there may not be people in position to elect a grand sheik at that time because there's no, it's a new territory. So when the tribe or clan has determined that they want to move into a different territory, i.e. head office decides that they want to look at a vacant jurisdiction in the Khalifa territory of a Mexican, they will send representatives out and they will vet possible grand chiefs for that territory or sheep for that territory or grand chief. Because there's no people there who can elect, they, the heads of state, meaning the head of other territories, will then say this individual can be the grand chief of this territory. That is why you would have an appointment. Other than that, the Grand Sheik is elected. You never allow anyone who has not been appointed or elected to dishonor the office of Grand Chief. Then you have the assistant 
grand sheik. The assistant grand sheik is usually going to be the liaison between the grand sheik and the grand chairman, the grand sheik and the advisor secretary. That is usually going to be the liaison. The assistant grand sheik is, as we would say, the right-hand man of the grand sheik of grand sheikers. Then you have the grand chairman or grand chairwoman, who is literally your chief lawman. The grand chairman or grand chairwoman sees to it that all laws, newly formed laws, are implemented in all territories, that they're properly put on the books, that they're properly ratified. That's the office of the grand chairman. He is the chief representative of the nation in public and international affairs, in war and during peacetime. That's your grand chairman or grand chairwoman. The grand chairman or grand chairwoman is third in command. If something was to happen to the the uh, grand chief, supreme grand chief, national grand chief, then it would be the assistant grand sheik who would be next in line. If the assistant grand sheik can't take the office, then the grand chairman, grand chairwoman, would be next in line. You have the visor. The visor is your chief liaison between the offices with the, the recording offices of other nations. We should be able to go to our visor, our RASM, secretary, and file all paperwork. More should not have to go into the county clerk's office to do anything. You should be able to go into your temple and turn that in, and then they handle that. That's what you pay dues for. That is, what, that is the operation of a nation. Your musky, your musky is your protector, your sergeant in arms. Anytime you walk into a Morris Science Temple, anytime there's a so-called Morris Society, there has to be Mufti. The Mufti is your, is your chief protector, is your guards. The Mufti has a relationship with the Sharif because that's who communicates with the Sharif and the police department to ensure that all Moors are passing through the territories without grief. This is the office of the Mufti, the guardsmen, sergeant at arms, the doorkeepers, the gatekeepers. They are to read all those who pass and push all the way to all those who wish to trespass. They stand at the doors to make sure that no one can come in and do anyone harm. They greet all members. They greet all newcomers. They are the watchful eye. They enforce the laws. The mufti, the head mufti, is to be one who knows the Quran or the Morrison Temple, who knows the spiritual and religious text of most all other spiritual systems, whether it's the Bibliotelio text, the Quran of Mecca, 
the teachings of Buddha, Shintoism, Hinduism. The, the head mufti is that who, who is the one who makes sure that we're in accordance with law. That we're in accordance with law. That's the position of the of the mufti. That's what they that's what the mufti does. Now if the mufti doesn't have a relationship with the Sharif or the local police department then this is where you can have Moors in those territories who are passing through being accosted and kidnapped. Again, we talk nationhood, but there's a standard. There's a standard here that we have to start understanding exists. So even within... Let's see here... Okay, yeah, we'll leave those. Even when we're speaking about these these standards of what is a nation, it is imperative that we do better. If there's anyone who has questions or comments, please don't hesitate um, to press one. I'm going to bring in four four three three seven six four four three. Three seven six Islam. Islam, beloved Islam. I am Hassan Ghazi Obey at Northwestern Maxim. How are you, brother? Islam, how's it more? I'm I'm doing good. It's it's funny that you're talking about what you're talking about and, and traveling. Um, I I uh, sent out the emails earlier today because I was supposed to be making my way to the Khalifa territory. Um, actually, mm-hmm. and um. You, you know, by the trip being planned, you know, on short notice, I, I did not send in my writs preceding my special appearance to Peter V. Neffinger of the uh, Transportation Security Administration, who's under Jay Johnson, who's the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. So by me not putting those writs in, okay, so I'm in the so-called TSA pre-check, and um and and yes what what occurs by us not corresponding with these individuals you know even though you know I'm standing intelligently on my square and of course as well of course as you know presenting my Elodio American national identification the whole time there's like this smile on my face but from the inside because I'm witnessing two things one mm-hmm. the TSA agents you could tell there was a point where they wanted something to escalate, but mm-hmm. Prophet Noble Drew Ali was so accurate when he said, when you speak in an intelligent tone, you'll receive a favorable reply. Now, granted, I did not, I was unable to make my flight, you know, because I was supposed to have been, you know, near the Khalifa territory now. But the favorable right. reply actually occurred in there was no, like, extra theatrics of like trying to embarrass the brother with the fez on there were actual tsa agents that were trying to do their best to like they were they were pulling out their own personal cell phones to try to accommodate me they was like maybe we can still get you to fly as a no id i mean i mean even one albion son that was one of the tsa agents was like 
He's like, I've never met anyone with such a genuine vibration as yours. He's like, man, you've got to be somebody. <laughs> like, literally, like, that's exactly <laughs> what he said. But he oh, that like, is beautiful. That no, is, I'm serious. Like, that. it was, it was really beautiful. humbling. It was really humbling. But the thing is, what I also realized was the energy and the vibration of them just wanting to follow their policy so they can have their dinner for the weekend. Do you know what I mean? Right. It was like, no matter what, they asked me and I answered the questions jurisdictionally correct, even though I did not send a writ preceding my special appearance to their heads, which is which is actual proper protocol, but it was a short notice, and I was being treated to the trip as well. So it's not like I planned it. You you know what I mean? But to but to have what transpired in the TSA pre-check and to actually have the TSA agents scrambling to try to assist me so that I can board. It wasn't like here comes this group of TSA agents and they're going to put on this extra vibrato of intimidation. It was like no, it was just like, okay, well, let me run and try to ask this supervisor. Okay, well, let me use my phone. And try. I mean, there was literally at one point in time, there was three different TSA agents on the phone like, well, yeah, it says L-O dial, L-O deal, American, some kind of card. I don't know, but it has a fingerprint. Like, <laughs> like so it was, I was just like, okay, I know I just need to just go back to my study, go back to my lab. Let me just, you know, write this right because, you know, I haven't, addressed or wrote, written a writ yet for Peter V. Neffinger, who is the administrator, head administrator for the Transportation Security Administration. But I have prepared mm-hmm. a writ for Linda Lazat McPherson, who is the president of the Canada mm-hmm. uh, Border Services Agency, because this is my thing. I'm not, uh, and, and I will yield the floor very soon, uh, uh, Brother Ramiel, but when I'm listening to you, mm-hmm. you're talking about if, if us as Muftis, the Bays, uh, you know, the sons, if we're not corresponding with the substitute bays, these mm-hmm. public servants, and you know how I like to, you know, colloquially say, for those of us that enjoy the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, those Jeffreys, because they are servants, you, you, and I, I, would, I, I would say it would be best for us to, you know, let these people know who we are before we travel, of course. That we don't mm-hmm. have to have the – some people may be in, but me, it, it's fine because I want to experience what can occur when I'm standing intelligently and lovingly on my square because love does conquer all. Because if somebody really wanted to be a butthole there that was in uniform, mm-hmm. they could have mm-hmm. been if I would have allowed myself to vibrate on such a frequency that would have induced that type of outcome. But since I chose Indeed. not to, there was a different thing that I've actually saw that I've never heard before, and that was the fact that there are people pulling out their personal cell phones trying to see what they mm-hmm. can do to assist me so that I can fly. So I can't say it, it, it was still like a win-win. It's still like, you know, Hassan, go home. Like the ancestors are telling me, look, bro, just go back to your lab, put the writ together, 
Let Peter V. Neffinger know what's going on. Let Jay Johnson know what's going mm-hmm. on because I've already done the protocols and notice for those of us that have. So it's not like the State Departments don't know who we are, but, you know, even some of the family has let me know in correspondence. Uh, you know, they're like, hey, next time, along with, you know, even though stuff is already on record, email these people and call them, you know what I mean, just in case mm-hmm. it's like extra padding so to speak, you know what I mean, just just for the trip. But but that was all. So I just said all of that to say, yes, I agree with that experience that just transpired this morning because I'm pretty sure you got the email this morning when I sent it out to you guys mm-hmm. um, this, mm-hmm. this this morning that this just happened. So it's it's like, okay, it, it was a learning lesson. Um, yes, us as, as the ills and the bays need to correspond with these Jeffreys so that we can let them know what needs to transpire when we're traveling because we don't need to have them try to put us under their jurisdiction by allowing them to tell us what is dictated as being acceptable identification. Jeffrey has no room telling the Fresh Prince what is acceptable. Jeffrey only needs to do what is being asked of him or told of him. But with that, I yield the floor, beloved. Islam, and I did get the uh, email. I haven't read it. I haven't read it because I've been moving around. Um, but I haven't read it, but I'm going to take a look at that. Um, and then we're going to get together, and then um, we're going to build probably here within a couple of hours. So I'll be ringing you because um, I w- want to have a discuss- discussion with you too, uh, brother. I want to tell you the brother uh, uh, Sim. Uh, said excellent demonstration, Brother Hassan, Islamism. So he wanted to oh, wow. make sure uh, you felt that vibration. Um, Indeed. But I want to also narrow, bring you know, bring a narrowing point to the to what you're saying. One of the issues, and when we're speaking about the reason I'm doing the show and dealing with government, is because even in your experience, one of the things that we have to recognize is that if we don't recognize the fact that at this point right now, as Moorish Americans, we're out of order. We're out of order in, in, in the forming of a general society. We should have an office for Brother Hassan where he corresponds the way that he already naturally knows how to correspond so that when another Moabitess or Moabite is, is passing through, the office of grand chairman or advisor um, that Brother Hassan occupies has already did that demonstration so that you don't have nationals conducting international business because this is international business. So China has an office that has already submitted the documentation of what a person who is passing through the territory or the jurisdiction of the U.S. would be carrying as a representative or a citizen of China. So that when their citizen walks up to TSA, and they go through customs, there's already an understanding of what they're going to present. That's international business. 
So the citizens of China would never go to the Secretary of State and say, hey, you need to listen to me. It would be the office of the secretary or the grand chairman who has that diplomatic relationship. And what we're doing is that because we haven't got it, you have uh, Brother Hassan or, or Brother Wasim or Sister Reese who has to do it on an individual basis because we're out of order, because we have not brought this thing to being in complete order yet. And so we have to approach this obstacle that's placed in front of us and, and, and get over that because that's when we'll actually be able to see these things come to an end where we are being uh, stopped or bothered or transgressed against when we're passing through. So we're speaking nationhood, and I'm not speaking of your instance, um, uh, I'm speaking of what we're dealing with in the show. But this is this is the direct reflection of, of the fact that we haven't got this thing in order. When we're looking at even starting um, accounts, bank accounts, based on all international law, based on the, the Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People, based on all these things, uh, you even have the demonstration for Brother Hassan um, um, who demonstrated his being able to go down and get, I think it was an, um, an ID card from the uh, facto jurisdiction. And some, some uh, Moors did not understand that demonstration. Well, based on international law or, or um, the rights of even the, the rights of indigenous people, even as, as an Aboriginal, you still have the right to all things that the U.S. citizenry has the right to have. So because you claim your Aboriginal status does not mean that you can't still conduct business. And if there are certain requirements that the, that the de facto or colonizing force has in place, that restricts the ability to do business if you don't have them, even after claiming your aboriginal indigenous status, you have the right to get those instruments so that you can continue to conduct business without having to acquiesce your aboriginal status. However, every single part of the Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People, when it gets to certain standards, it says a people. It doesn't say a person. It says a people, a people, plural, a society, a tribe, a clan. So what we're doing is not taking the time to come back into order before we're trying to conduct international business, and we as a whole are responsible for uh, Brother Hassan or Brother Wasim or Sister. Anyone who's having these holdups is because we haven't done it right yet. And everything's in place for us to do it right. Even with trans, you know, with, uh, with with passing through another's territory, you see Moors who are who are out of order. Or about, before I say go into that, is there anything that you wanted to 
add to that, Hassan, before I uh, put you put you on, on um, you, you you know you always drop some uh, great jewels. So if you have something to add to that, because I know the work that you're doing, please do so before I move into crossing into other jurisdictions. I mean, just just briefly uh, before I yield the floor, just briefly because you did touch on some things. But I mean, what what I'm doing is basically just like I said, at the end of the day we as a family should be able to travel anywhere upon our ancestral mm-hmm. estate because this is the thing, um, and, and we had briefly spoke about this, and I just wanted to bring it to the public forum, if you don't mind. The, the thing about yeah, it being indeed. part and parcel, you know, part, where it means we're part of it. Parcel means we're tied to it, which means that we are it. Like, we were tied to our mother via the umbilical cord, but just because we are cut from the navel doesn't mean that we're no longer our mother. Do you, do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. just because we're not, like, mm-hmm. specifically tied to the land doesn't mean that we're not the land. So since we are mm-hmm. the land, and when we do go in Black Thought Dictionary and look up law of the land, land, air, water, and fire, you know, we're, our body is the land, we're made up of 75% water, we breathe the air, and the fire is in our heart and mind. That's Leo and Aries, mm-hmm. if you want to talk about it cosmologically speaking. So <laughs> when it comes, <clears throat> pardon me, when it comes to whether we want to travel via Greyhound or Bolt Bus or some type of airplane service, American Airlines or Southwest, or we want to travel via boat, at the end of the day, those automobiles were made the uh, components that were taken from our ancestral estate, okay? Mm -hmm. So the rubber for the tires, the ore for the metal, for the engines, the the glass Mm -hmm. was made of the sand from the beach of the shores of our ancestral estate. So they had to take from us to make these things to convey us further. So why would we not only, one, be taxed, but also be charged. That's like me coming to your home, beloved Ramiel, and you have this awesome apple tree in your backyard, and I just think to myself, hey, let me grab a few of those apples and make this scrumptious, litty-dumptious pie. And when I go and make you this pie, and I'll be like, yeah, you like this slice right here? That'll be $5 plus tax. You'll look at me like I'm crazy because I used your flour, I used your apples, I used your aluminum pan, I used your oven, I used your energy to convey the heat in order to bake the pie, let alone whatever else components dealing with your energy and your ancestral estate that I made to create that product and service, let alone am I going to sit here now, not only charge you, but tax you as well, and I think that is the point that I'm making when it comes to me, you know, Mm -hmm. taking the writs from RV Bay Publications or any other place Mm -hmm. that I've actually read writs on and then being able to, you know, bring them together and put them in this cauldron, so to speak, and create Mm -hmm. these spells that will free us as a family. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not like Mm -hmm. I want us to get away with something. I just want us to be able to enjoy our ancestral estate without having foreigners put their P. Diddy on it and remix our ancestral estate and then try to sell it to us and tax us for it. But with that, I yield the floor. Peace and love, beloved, and thank you so much for taking my call. Let's smile. Oh, all the time. Peace and love. So we're coming towards the, the end, um, you know, of the uh, show for today. So I want to, you know, again, reinforce 
gets a couple of things that we're, that we're speaking of and the intent um, <clears throat> of the show. We are speaking nationhood. We're speaking it. We're always speaking about um, the Morris Nation, the Morris Nation. We're, we're, we're a nation. We're a nation. These are the things that we're saying. But we're not showing the knowledge that would back that up. We're not showing the understanding of protocol, national standards. We're not showing it. But we're speaking as if it is. And we're not dealing with a fake it till you make it issue here. We're speaking about the fact that there's a way that things are done, a standard of protocol on an international level. What relationships have we established with other nations? Does, does any more science temple, does any great field organization, does anyone have a treaty with another nation at this point? Do we have the recognition um, of us having an ancient treaty that's unbroken with another nation? Do, do we have our banking system up? Do we have a way of conducting finance and commerce between us as Moors? Meaning, although when we're trading with the U.S. dot, the international uh, finance for trade is the fiat. Do we as Moors have a way of, of a system of finance that we operate amongst ourselves? Because that's part of the foundation of a nation. Based on international standards, a nation must have a banking system, a way of conducting finance among themselves. Do we understand or can we name our seats in government? Do we understand, do we know how to operate our customers? Do we know what the grand chairman or the assistant grand chairman, grand chairwoman, um, the RASM, the secretary, the advisor, do we know what their duties are? Can we operate those duties? Because these are what a nation is. We are so far to the left on that right now. So far to the left. In our own, in our own ignorance, we're, we're so far over. We don't right now. We're not properly demonstrating even territorial jurisdiction protocols. You have Moors who will go and operate in a territory of another temple or, organi or organization without ever first touching base with the active Moors in that area. Or we're not 
or, or first making themselves readily available to the active Moors who are already there. You have Moors, I'll just, I'll just go there and I'm just going to go to the Michigan Territory and I know that there's, you know, a few temples there. I know there's a great seal there and um, I'm just going to start my own study group. I'm just going to start my own temple. You haven't even made yourself available or got the permission or charter, which is permission, from those who are already in that territory. That's international protocol here. That's just international protocol. But you have more who will speak it, but we, we have to get that right. So anyway, we're going to wrap up. I hope that um, you all understand uh, the message, understand the, the importance of getting this thing back in order, because without us demonstrating that we understand these protocols, other nations will only continue to, to laugh. You know, you can't do certain things um, and expect to be respected. We have to respect our culture and our customs first. If you need that, that um, document, send me an email and I'll send it to you. I'll see you next week. Talk to you next week. We'll build next week. Peace and love. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.